conflict, uh, chaos in your life. In order to do that, we got to define two words. Let's define the word guilt, and then let's define the word shame, because we need to have a working definition so that we can all be on the same page. The word guilt is defined as knowledge, fact, or understanding of having committed a specified offense or crime. Now, now watch this. Guilt, all it is, is your acknowledgement, your understanding, or the fact that you have committed some specified crime, a wrong, offense. In other words, guilt works like this. In a classroom, if the teacher says, everybody's supposed to raise their hand before you speak, the teacher asks a question, and you get so excited that you just yell out, you, you got your hand up, but you yelled out the answer. Guilt says, oops, I wasn't supposed to do that. I acknowledge that that's wrong. Shame says, you as an individual are so flawed, you should never answer another question again. And that is the difference between guilt and shame. All of us should experience guilt, but I'm going to show you that Jesus Christ took all our shame away. Guilt is like a stop sign. If you're driving and you come to an intersection, you want to know whether or not you're supposed to stop. You want to know who has the right of way. If there are no stop signs and you come to a four-way intersection, somebody's going to get hit. So you want to make sure that when guilt is in your life, that you're not, a, you're not using guilt to stop you from moving forward. Guilt only says, oops, I've made a wrong. I need to make a correction. Guilt is like your GPS. You ever been driving and, and you miss a turn? What is the first thing your GPS tells you? It, 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 the first thing it says to you? Rerouting. It doesn't say, oh, you suck. You might as well just drive off the cliff now. I mean, you, you, you ever know? I mean, I don't know about your GPS, but my, I mean, you can, listen, you can be driving, miss a turn. It'll say rerouting. You can go a different way, and, and the GPS will go, okay, rerouting. It'll just keep rerouting. The only job of the GPS is to get you back on track. No matter how many times you miss the turn. That's what the Holy Spirit is to you. His job is not there to condemn you. The Holy Spirit does not condemn. He calls you into knowledge that you may have made a mistake, but he is not talking to you about how worthless you are. So the Lord assigns guilt to us so that we have knowledge that we went the wrong way. It works the same way. You ever, been think, you, ever think you know where you're going? You go to a city and you think you, you think you know where you're going, especially guys do this. You don't turn the GPS on. Because somebody done told you to drive down 64, make a left on exit 72, get off, make two rights, and then the bit. You know, you ain't going to remember that. By the time you, you like, what exit am I still? So what happens is, is that anytime you're trying to live your life without the Holy Spirit, it's like trying to drive your car without the GPS at a place you don't know where it is. You have, have you ever felt the anxiety of trying to get to a place and you didn't, you didn't know where it was? You, you didn't know, and, and, so every, and so every time you made a turn and it wasn't right, the anxiety level just built. That's what happens trying to live your life without the Holy Spirit. You just keep on, keep on, keep on, and the anxiety level builds, and what happens at some point, the emotion of guilt leaves. It doesn't transfer, it leaves, and what takes its place is most, one of the most powerful emotions it is, which is shame. 
And when shame comes on you, shame will cause you to retreat from people, including the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible describes him as a paraclete. He is the teacher. And when, and when shame comes in, sh shame will say to you, you shouldn't even ask the Holy Spirit that. It'll be like, you, you, you shouldn't even ask for direction. Shame will make Shame, if you ever have negative self-talk, you're dealing with shame. I'm not talking about the kind of motivation talk. Me and Pastor John was talking about this one day. When I'm riding my bike, especially when I first started riding, I talk to myself pretty hard, but I don't talk bad about myself. It's a difference. When I was first riding that bike and I couldn't get up that hill, I was saying some stuff to myself. I was like, you're going to get your tail up there. You're going to get up. If you don't get up that hill, we're going to ride 10 more miles. That's different than, than saying to yourself, you suck. You might as well get off the bike. You ain't never going to be able to ride. That's a different kind of thing. And so I'm telling you that if you deal with negative self-talk, it's because there's an issue of shame in that area in your life. Listen, if somebody says to you, listen, I know how to help you improve your credit score. But you too ashamed to show them your credit score? If you too ashamed to, sh to open the pages, and, and, I, and I, don't, I don't mean to exclude anybody, but, but this, this issue has a lot to do in the African-American community because we taught as kids, well, go on in this house. Stay in this house. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 the fact I didn't grow up with y'all right. right. tells me that somebody else done heard that. You, here's, two, here's another thing we don't talk about. We don't talk about no money in this house. You don't tell nobody how much. You better not tell nobody how much something costs. We done got a whooping for, for telling somebody how much something cost. So this, this issue of sharing, is in, it, uh, this issue of not sharing is then bred in us. So now when you're older and you could get help from somebody, you don't ask for help. So the problem with that is that it allows shame to come. Listen, if your credit score is 530, there's nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, you ought to be happy because more than likely you ain't got nowhere to go but up. So you ain't got to be shamed. But what shame will do is shame will cause you to make decisions where your credit score will stay low so that you can look like it's not in front of everybody else. And if you don't learn to overcome this issue of shame, when people are put before you who can give you help, you won't accept it. Man, I remember when I was, when I, when I was in school early on, I, I, was, I, I had desired to get a degree in biology. And I remember we were in a biology class, and a lot of, myself included, we didn't know what that guy was talking about. But man, people would gather, they'd walk out of class, and as we were walking out, they'd go, I don't know what he's talking about. I would, go, I would go back and say, okay, I, I need some help. And people thought that looked silly because it was like, you know, you're you in college, you're in biology, you're like, you go to class and you leave. I'm like, at the end of the day, I need a grade in this class. And it don't need to be a grade with no D or C or below. So I'm going to ask for help. But do you know how many adults still won't ask for help? I don't know a lot about investing. I really don't. It's why I haven't really went there full board yet. Now, I know how to save, so that's what I'm working on. But I'm reading stuff about how to invest. But why would I be afraid to tell somebody I don't know how to invest? At some point, none of us knew how to read. 
you, you ain't walk out the womb talking about Jane went up the hill. No, you didn't. You didn't know how to read. And so somebody had to help you learn to read. You didn't know how to walk. You couldn't feed yourself. You couldn't clothe yourself. And so because of that, you, we, we got to understand that asking for help is not, is not wrong. Take your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Say, there is nothing wrong, is nothing wrong. with asking for, help. asking for help. I had a professor who said this one time, and you have to hear it in the tone that he said it because it's true. He said, there are no stupid questions, just stupid people who don't ask questions. No, 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 no. He said, there are no stupid questions. It's just stupid people who don't ask questions. Because if you don't know something, the only way to know it is to inquire of it. Amen? So the guilt is defined as knowledge, fact, or understanding of having committed a specified or implied offense. Shame, watch this, is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation. Distress and this last one, low self-worth. Now notice, notice, when we talked about guilt, we were talking about actions. When we talk about shame, it moves to our person. When we talked about guilt, it was something that I did. When we talk about shame, it's who we are. And shame is one of those things, man, it tries to wrap itself around you because it knows that if it does, it can keep you in a stronghold. I was reading something the other day. 75% of all men over the age of 15, 75%, black, white, Christian, Catholic, atheist, it does, 75% of all men at some point in their life will struggle with pornography. Now, let me ask you a question. You ever go to Starbucks and see somebody just sitting in the middle of Starbucks watching porn? No. Why not? Well, not just because it's inappropriate, because the reality of it is, is that porn is legal. So, so it's not that it's, it's, not, it's inappropriate for us, but if you're not a believer, it's not inappropriate for you. Here's what I'm saying, though. Nobody does it because there's shame associated with it. That, that's why people... You ever notice that even when something is legal, people won't do it if there's some way that shame's going to be attached to it? Shame is one of those things that'll wrap itself around you. And the reason that it does is because once shame gets around you, it will never let you ask for help. You know how you get free from stuff? You ask for help. One of the most powerful things I ever saw, and I know and it, was, it, was, it was funny, but it wasn't funny. You have to know me. I kind of got a like, weird sense of humor. But it was funny, but it was, but it was freeing. We were at a men's conference. Ralph, you remember this. There were about 2,000 men in there. And Pastor Steve got a word of knowledge, and he said, I want to pray for every man in here who has erectile dysfunction. Now, that sounds, it sounds like crazy, right? But let me help you. If you're married and you're dealing with erectile dysfunction, that's not good for you or your wife. <laughs> now, now, but, but that's a good point. But watch this. She said, get yourself to that altar. But shame won't let you go. So, so you're, you're on high, you, you, got, you got high blood pressure, so you're taking high blood pressure medicine, which one of the effects of high blood pressure medicine is erectile dysfunction. And it's even higher in men who are African-American. 
So, so, so you don't ask for help to deal with your weight. You don't ask for help to deal with your hypertension. You don't ask for help to deal with your erectile dysfunction. So the next thing we know, we see you and your wife and you're divorced and nobody knows why. Because shame wouldn't let anybody walk. But watch this. 2,000 men in this conference. And when he first makes the call, nobody moves. And Pastor Steve boldly stands and says, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but the Lord told me there were, there were, there were at least 50 men in here struggling from erectile dysfunction. And God wants to heal you. Nobody moves. He says, I'm not going to stand here all day. He said, I have heard from the Lord, and if you have received what I have said from the last time I preached, and you said amen, you should hear me now. One dude got up, and when he got up and walked to the altar, another guy got up. Another guy got up, another guy got up, another guy got up, and it was hundreds of people, hundreds of men, older men, some of them younger, some of them who had accidents, in the, who had like motorcycle accidents or whatever and was having issues, but watch this. Every one of them who came up, every single one of them had to overcome shame. You don't get healed, you don't get delivered, you don't get saved, and you don't get set free till you deal with shame. It's the reason that I, and I'm not picking on her, it's why I so admired Christian when she was in her early 20s. In her early 20s, there were things she was dealing with that necessarily didn't have anything to do with her, with her family issue and all things. She didn't care if every Sunday she had to come to the altar, she came to the altar. Every Sunday, and there's, there's people sitting in here that will say, if you need prayer after church, somebody be up here praying for you. You know you need prayer. You know you need prayer. You came in here wondering whether you were going to make it this week. But instead of walking up and standing in line and waiting your turn and having somebody to pray with you, you go out here defeated. Why? Shame. Shame. Shame will do it. Shame will do it. Listen. You have made some bad financial decisions in the past, but the past doesn't have to be your tomorrow. But if you don't get rid of this issue of shame and stop being so concerned about what somebody going to think about you because you broke. Listen, we already know that. You're not fooling us. We don't think you got millions. We all trying to get there. We on this journey together. So you ain't got to be friendly with us like you balling out. We trying to help you. But shame says, I'm just going to sit here and act like it's all right. It's not all right. Tell your neighbor, say it's not all right to not ask for help. Here's why shame is so powerful. Proverbs 23 and 7. It says, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So, so, so that's why shame tries to get into your heart, because if shame can get into your heart, it'll deal with your low self-worth. It'll cause you to think lowly of yourself. And if shame can cause you to think lowly of yourself, then you'll get to the place where you don't feel like you should be, you should be receiving any help. You'll start feeling like you shouldn't receive any assistance. I love when Pastor Sean preaches. Why am I making her preach so much? Because when she's teaching, she's always motivating us to see ourselves as the way God sees us. Because when you see yourself the way God sees you, it's hard for you to see yourself as something less than. Tell your neighbor, say, everybody, everybody. Needs, a needs a little motivation. 
So here's what we read in Psalms 119 and 15. Psalms 119 15 tells us how we get to change our mindset. It says, I will meditate on your precepts, Lord, and I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will meditate on your precepts. Psalm 119 in verse 15, it's, and it may read a little different in your translation, but he says, I will, I, will, I will look at your precepts. In other words, I'll look at the things that you have said to do. I'm going to fix my eyes on your path or on your ways. And so when you begin to fix yourself on Jesus, shame can attach to you. I'm going to show you in just a minute that if you, if, I don't know if you've ever studied it, but if you haven't, you should do a Google search uh, of, 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 of ashamed or shame. You know what? I'm going to do something real quick. How many of y'all got, how many of you got your phones with you? I want to show you. I want to show you. I know, right? I love my kid at home, but I got my phone. <laughs> All right. I want you to, if you can, uh, I want you, I'm going to see if I can do this. I, this just popped up. Let's see if I can do this. I want you to go. Let me put this down for a second. So here's, I took a picture just a moment ago when I was sitting there, okay? And on the picture, if I had posted it, this is what you would have saw, okay? Shame works like this. Shame is like a magnifying glass. I, some of y'all don't do this, but I know some of y'all do. You ever go to somebody's picture on Facebook or whatever? Come on. Double tap. Depending on, the, depending on the phone you got, you either take your phone and you enlarge it. Or you double tap, whatever you do. I mean, Ray, go raise your hand if you do that. You know you do. You know you do. Yeah, y'all do. The rest of y'all just didn't know you could do it. But here's what happens. When you do that, you can look at a picture, right? But you can magnify that picture and look at something very small. Well, I was sitting there, and I took a picture of my hand like this. And if I could have posted this picture like I wanted to, won't let me do it, when you saw it, all you would have saw was, the, was my bracelet with the little emblem on it. But if you enlarged it, you would have saw this one little gray hair. No, I just, it just won't work. Now, wh why am I saying that? Because here's what happens with shame. Shame gives you the opportunity to see the whole picture, but focusing on one little thing. So God been good to you in this area. God been good to you in this area. God been good to you in this area. God been good to you in that area. God been, but what you focus on is the one thing you messed up on. Shame works like a magnifying glass to the very thing that is designed to cause you to be less like God than you are. Ask him what? What'd you say? 
Absolutely. She, did y'all hear that? She said, you know, on the side, it says objects may appear bigger than what they are. It's, it's a That's what shame does. Shame wants to take one mistake and basically say you ought to give up. You, made, you messed up one time in your area of finances and it's saying, you know what? You're never going to be able to do this stuff search he's talking about. That's what shame does. But Jesus has dealt with our shame. Amen. He's dealt with our shame. How do I know? The Bible says in first, I mean, in second Corinthians 10 and five. Second Corinthians 10 and 5. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, what? We are not warring according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not what? Carnal, or they're not fleshly, but they are what? Divine power to destroy strongholds. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Notice this. When shame comes in, and shame tries to talk to us and tell us who we are, we must reject shame because shame is a lie. And you cannot reject shame with just your thinking. You have to reject shame with your thinking and your actions. So let's just, let's just take another, another issue. Let's say that you've been saying you're going to lose weight for, for a long time, Okay. Whatever, whatever, whatever your weight number is, you, you say you've been trying, you're going to lose it. Well, we are past summer now. <laughs> so if you didn't get your summer body ready, maybe your winter body is already there. But as sure as we live, summer's going to come again. So if you don't want to be shamed next summer, you can't just think your way into having a great body next year. You have to think it, but you also have to put some to it. The only way to overcome shame of bad financial decisions is to try it again. Not just doing the same thing you did last time, expecting a different result, because we know that to be what? Insanity. But to get the information and then try it again based on the new information. Here's what I don't understand. Even if you fail, you're no worse off. No, I'm serious. When Pastor Sean was asking people, they said, she said, did you pull your credit score? People were like, well, no, not yet. Dude, that was January. What have you been doing that you couldn't pull? Listen, you all, y'all got your phone. Right now, I will be happy to stop teaching so you can go to the Credit Karma app. You can download it so that you can begin seeing your credit score every single week. And it's free. What you don't monitor, you cannot conquer. What you don't monitor, you cannot conquer. If you do not look at your credit score and dig into understanding how you can raise it, you will keep doing the exact same thing. And shame will tell you, girl, boy, you don't want to be focused on that. That thing is horrible when you look at it. Not looking at it doesn't make it horrible. Doesn't make it not horrible. It's just as horrible when you look at it or when you don't. But when you decide to make decisions to change it, change is possible. We must not allow shame to sabotage God's purpose for us. We cannot allow shame to paralyze us and to cause us to live a life that is be below what God has called us to live. 
God has given all of us a promise that financial independence and wealth building are a part of our kingdom inheritance. He's made that promise to us. The Bible even says it like this. He says, you know what? Oh, no man, what? Nothing but what? To love him. So why would God make a, 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 a cause, a commandment to be given to us if there was no way to live up to it? So if God called us to it, it's got to be a way to live up to it. Amen. So if, I, if I'm not living up to it, the question has to be, what's stopping me from living up to it? One of the devil's favorite weapons to use against us is the tool of shame, especially over something that happened in the past. There are things, literally, that people, you know, there are, there are children who, who are molested when they're young. There are children who are beaten when they're young. There are children who are treated horrifically when they're young. And if nothing ever happens to deal with that trauma, they live with that shame the rest of their life. The things adults say to children when they're small, if we're not careful and we don't understand that, people, people deal with those things. You, you may not ever experienced it, but this happened in, in life before, and maybe it didn't happen to you, but maybe you know somebody. You ever be talking to somebody, and you say something that you think wasn't that big a deal, and they like, wig out? And you're like, why you go off on that? Because you don't understand the shame that they had around that issue, and when you start to dig around in people's shame, folk do whatever they can to not feel that way. That's the reason when we tell people next Sunday, church is going to be teaching. When we talk about finances, they find something else to do on that Sunday. Now, no disrespect to Sir no disrespect to FOC. They just don't want to deal with the issue of where their money is. But not dealing with it doesn't make it go away. You know, it's like, I t it's like when people get sick and they won't go to the hospital. Now, you feeling bad. You've been in the bed for two weeks. You got all this stuff happening to you. You, you, you got diarrhea. You vomiting. You hurting in places you didn't know existed. But you won't go to the doctor. Because you don't want the doctor to tell you that you might have something. That's true, too. <laughs> you don't want the doctor to tell. I'm, somebody told me once. I said, well, I didn't go to the doctor. I don't want the doctor to tell me I have cancer. So you'd rather not know? Because the doctor not saying it don't mean you don't have it. But if you acknowledge it, then you can take care of whatever treatment is necessary to deal with it. Same thing is true with your money. Not here in surgery next week ain't going to make you rich. If that's the case, wouldn't none of us show up. But if you, but, but you, you want to change your life, you got to deal with difficult issues. As believers, we must not only understand what shame is, but we must learn how to overcome it. Shame stems from a sense of failure. It's a powerful emotion caused by wrong consciousness of guilt or shortcoming. But the answer to the shame dilemma lies in Jesus Christ himself. Yeah. Take your neighbor and say, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has, dealt with has dealt with all of my shame. All of my shame. Let's just take a look at this. Let's just run through scripture real fast. Isaiah chapter 50. Verse 6 and verse 7, here's what it says. It says, I offered my back to those who beat me. We know that this is, a, this is a prophetic word talking about Jesus and when he was to come. It says, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from their mockery and their spitting because the sovereign Lord, my father, helps me. 
I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a, like a stone or like flint, determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to what? Shame. Now, Jesus is described, or, or Isaiah is describing what he sees and what's going to happen to Jesus during his crucifixion. It says literally they plucked the hairs out of his face, every one, and pulled him out and just ripped his, 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 his hair from his face. They spit on him. They mocked him. They laughed at him. They did everything they could to try to, to, try to make him feel shame. But he said, I will not feel ashamed. Why? Because whatever I'm going through, the sovereign God is with me. So I might have a low credit score today, but I ain't going to be shame about it. I'm not going to be shame. I may not have all the money I need, but I'm not going to be shame about it. I may not have everything that I need today, but I'm not going to be shame about it. I remember one time when I, my, my mother allowed me to start driving earlier probably than I should have. Um, she got me a car when I was about 15. Um, praise God. And so I had a car early. So my friends didn't have a car. And so they all wanted to ride with me because Strick had the car. Strick 9 had the car, right? And so the car I had at that time, it was an it was, it was 84 Buick Regal, 5 liter, T-tops. Y'all know nothing about that. So I had this car, and, 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 but the only issue was is that in the right, you know, where the T-tops came, where they, where they come out, that little bar right there, the little uh, carpet thing sagged just a little bit. You know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. I ain't making this up. It sagged just a little bit. Now, it wasn't bad, but it sagged a, you know, just, just a little bit. And so if you had the T-tops off and the wind was blowing, it would flutter like this while you go down the road. But I had a car. But Shane wouldn't let me take certain girls in my car. No, 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 watch this. Because if it was a girl I thought I liked, I didn't want her riding in my car with the thing waving. <laughs> but I had a car. But I had a car. So all my friends couldn't understand why I wouldn't drive my car at certain times. They're like, Strick, you got a car. Why we want to go pick them up? I'm not picking them up in my car. Now, it sounds stupid, but that's what shame does. Shame will not allow you to use resources that you have because you discount them when other people would love to have what you have. That's what shame does. There are folk who would give anything to be able to sit down and one-on-one -on -one talk to Sertrick about their finances. But they don't know him. They don't know nobody. Everybody in their family broke. Everybody on both sides of the family broke. Everybody messed up. But if they're searching for somebody they could talk to, we have somebody and won't do what they ask us to do. Why? Because shame says, I can't do this because I'm not worthy. Notice this. When we read this in Isaiah, the word of God says that he submitted himself to shame so that it would never be something that you and I have to face. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, shame is not a part of our inheritance. God helped us by giving us the power to overcome shame when Jesus died on the cross. We see this same thing show up in Matthew 27 and 46. 
In Matthew 27, verse 46, one of the most famous passages in the gospel, we see where Jesus was being crucified and he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatini, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In this particular wording, you have to understand what happened. Literally, in that moment, Jesus, for the first time ever, was separated from God. It was the first and only time they had ever been separated. Because the Lord said, because God said he had to turn his back on him because he was bearing all of our sins. So he took the shame of not being able to be rescued by the Father so that you and I never had to be ashamed. So when we talk about exchanging our sins, we didn't just exchange our sins. We exchanged the, the shame that comes with sin. So you and I have no reason to be ashamed. That's the reason why we can use positive faith affirmations. We speak those things that be not as though they were. Why? Because we can say I'm, I'm debt free and not have to be ashamed about it. Because God's going to do that for us because it's already done in the, in the spirit realm. So it's important that we understand that this issue of shame. Listen, whatever area in your life you're dealing with shame, if you don't confront that thing, it's never going to go away. Shame does not just go away. Shame just, it, it, it doesn't just dissipate. In fact, I remember one time that we were watching, um, I think it was, was, I think it was Yo! MTV Cribs. Y'all remember Yo! MTV Cribs used to come on? And Russell Simmons' ex-wife, Kamora, uh, was on there one time. I don't know if you ever seen the episode, but they were showing their house. It was beautiful. Their house was beautiful. And she loves giraffes because she's tall. She's a model. And she was talking about how she loves these giraffes. She had these diamond and ruby encrusted giraffes all over her house. But the whole time she's talking about her house and all the stuff she has, all she keeps referring to is how people made fun of her when she was little, how people made fun of her when she was poor. Now, here she is living in a multi-million dollar house. She got thousands of dollars worth of clothes on. She got million dollar cars in the driveway, but she's still affected by the shame that came to her when she was little. And people talked about her being tall and lanky and people talked about her being broke. Just because you move on don't mean you deal with the shame. Just because you move on doesn't mean you've dealt with it. Just because you suppressed it, just because you've got a new set of friends, just because you move, it's folk who don't go back to your high school reunion talking about, I ain't going back there, I ain't accomplished much. You're still alive. Now, if you don't want to go, you don't want to go. But you should never let shame stop you from going. People say it all the time, well, I ain't accomplished as much as I wanted to. But you ain't the only one. No, really, you ain't the only one. So it'd be people that you can hang with because they didn't accomplish that much either. So it's fine. But you don't allow shame to stop you from doing what you want to do. Amen? No, 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 no. Watch this. Because when we move beyond Matthew 27, we go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 3 through verse 6 says, Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was stricken, watch this, afflicted and smitten by God. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with the deepest of grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sins, all of us in this room. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. 
He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be made healed. All of us, you and I in this room, were like sheep having strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Watch this. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He literally took any associate. Now, we don't get it. We don't get it. I understand because we're human. But if you could see this spiritually, every sin you have ever committed, every sin you are committing, every sin you will ever commit, the shame that comes with all of those sins were taken and laid on Jesus' back. The only way shame attaches to you is you go get that shame from hell. Because the Bible says that Jesus, after he got off the cross, went to hell and that he delivered all of our sins there. He took the power over those sins from the devil and he came back and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He didn't come back with no shame. So if he didn't come back with no shame, and the Bible says that you are now a joint heir of Christ and heirs of God, shame is not in your DNA. So if you are operating or allowing sin to operate in you, it's because you are still hanging on to some of that DNA from your old father. Because, because Jesus has no shame. He, he took all the shame that was placed on him for all of mankind forever, and he delivered it into hell. He left it there. So there is no shame associated with our mess-ups. We feel guilt because it's our, it's our rerouting system. But we should never feel shame, amen? amen. Tell your neighbor, say, shame, shame is, not is not a part of my inheritance. Now, Christ suffered once for our sins so that, we might, so that he might bring us to God. You and I, we don't have to like, sometimes, have you ever done this? Have you ever messed up and then you felt like you had to pay penance for it? Like you had to go through enough before you would, was, was back on even keel? A lot of people may not, but there are, there are people who do that. They, they make a mistake and they really feel like they need to punish themselves or, or they, need to, they need to go through a time of without so that, they can, so, that, so that at some point they feel like, okay, I've done enough penance for God. But the Bible says that Jesus died once. You hear me? Jesus died once. So if Jesus died once, I am not going to spend my life punishing myself for my mess ups. Now, 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 now you have to teach this with balance. That don't mean I just go wild out and do whatever I want to do. What it means, though, is that when I mess up, I simply reroute like I would on the GPS. If I'm, not, if, if, if I'm driving down the street and it says rerouting, I don't go, oh, my God, I missed it. Just hit the gas and just keep going straight. I stop. I make a turn. You know, and, 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 and you don't think about it, but people do. They're like, well, you know, I messed up this week, so I might as well just go and ball out for the weekend and get it right on Sunday. No. No. That's hitting the gas and just going out. You know, you mess up on Monday. You don't wait till Sunday to get it right. You don't just ball out the rest of the week. You mess up. You go, yo, you know what, God? That's my bad. I, I shouldn't have done that. Help me, to get, help me to do better. Put some things in your life so you don't do it again. But you don't lay there and wallow in it. It's the difference between being sad when a loved one dies and then being in grief. Those are two different things. When you are grieving, when you, are allowed, when you allow grief to set in, grief is immobilizing. It stops you from moving forward. I don't want to be crass, but I got to say this because I got to help you because I'm your pastor, right? If you are a believer and you believe the word, 
You're sad that they're gone, but you ain't tripping like, I don't know what I'm going to do. They're in heaven. If you believe what you say you believe. Now, people be like, Pastor, that's insensitive. It's not insensitive. You're going to die too. Okay? So death is a part of life. It's going to happen for you. Okay? Let's just get it out there so nobody's surprised. But like, oh, I died. You're going to die. The issue is, as a believer, how do I deal with that? How do I deal with it? Because if I learn how to effectively deal with it, then I don't allow grief to come into my life. You ever heard somebody say stuff like this? Man, I feel so bad. I should have went by and saw, and saw them. I should have said something to them. I should have called them. Listen, but you didn't. You, you didn't. And you can't get it back. So don't let shame now come into your life and cause you to be immobilized so you can't go forward. So now you're so immobilized by the fact you didn't go see somebody before they did, before they died, now you're not going to see everybody else who's still alive. Say, I do not allow shame to immobilize me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, for God made Christ who never knew sin to be the offering of our sin so that you and I could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I were made the righteousness of God. Now think about that. When it, when it says you and I have been made the righteousness of God, I'm not a baker, but I do know that when you bake a cake, there's some certain ingredients you got to have. Even if you get it from a box, there's some ingredients you got to have. You got to have some eggs, some oil, you need a little milk, some sugar, some flour, whatever, you, whatever you're going to do to make that cake. Have you ever noticed that once you begin to put all those ingredients together and you mix them all up and you make that cake, there's no way to unmake it? There, no, no, think about it. There's no way to extract the sugar. There's no way to extract the vanilla. There's no way to extract the flour. There's no way to get the eggs. Once you have been made the righteousness of God, there is no unmaking it. And because there is no unmaking it, notice eggs. Watch this. You make a cake. What's, some, what's something you put in, in, in when you make a cake? What's something you put in it? Flour, right? Flour, what else? Eggs, sugar, butter. Kosher salt, what? Baking salt, what? Okay, all right, all right, all right. What up? Vanilla extract, what up? What up? All right. You know what I didn't hear anybody say? Cabbage. I ain't hear nobody say you put cabbage in the cake. Now, now watch this. Because, there, because you didn't put cabbage, stay with me, because you didn't put cabbage in the cake as one of the ingredients, when you cut the cake and you eat the cake, you never taste cabbage. So because shame was never put in Christ, then when I got mixed with Christ, there was no shame in him. Therefore, there could be no shame in me. I've been made the righteousness of God. I don't have, that means I've been made the righteousness of God without doing anything righteous. That's a powerful statement. I've been made the righteousness of God without doing anything righteous. And so if I didn't do anything to be made righteous, then, I don't, then, then what I do doesn't make me unrighteous. Oh, I wish you'd get that. Well, no, Pastor, I, I sinned yesterday. You sinned. It didn't make you unrighteous. Because your righteousness comes from where you are positioned in Christ. 
And as long as I'm positioned, in fact, the only way shame attaches to me is that I leave my position. I, I, I leave, I, I, I mentally get out of the position in which I am supposed to be. But as long as I'm in the place I'm supposed to be, shame cannot grip me. Amen. Listen. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 2. I want to show you something. I read this just, I was sharing this with Pastor Sean. Blew me away, but it's such a powerful illustration. Isaiah 40, verse 1, verse 2. And I'm almost done. Say, my debt of shame and guilt has been paid in full. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 40, verse 1, verse 2. I read it here. It says, comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kind words to Jerusalem. Whenever you see the word Jerusalem, it's a reference to who we are. He says, so speak kind words to Jerusalem. Call out to her, Jerusalem, that her time of war has ended, that her sin has been taken away, and that she has received from the Lord's hand twice as much for all of her sins. So I'm reading this, and I'm studying this out. I knew this was a scripture I wanted to use, and it sounded good, but I needed a little more understanding of it. So as I'm reading through a couple of concordances, I come across a concordance that I wasn't familiar with, and I read, and it tells me this. It literally says this, that this particular scripture is a reference to a Jewish custom. And here's the Jewish custom. People who were Jewish who had debts, they would take the amount of debt that they had, they would list it on parchment paper. They would then nail it to the doorpost of their home so that as people walked by, they saw how much debt they had. Now, how many of you know it takes a lot of something to expose yourself that way? Especially when you came from a culture who, not like us, but really looked down on debt. Well, why did they do that? They put it there in hopes that a rich man would walk by and when the rich man walked by, he would see how much debt they have. He would pay their debt. He would write paid in full, and he would fold the paper over and renail it. So that when people walked by, people saw, oh, they used to be in debt, but now they're not. The Bible says that the ordinances that was written against us, Jesus blotted them out. And he nailed them to the cross. It is the illustration of what happens with all of our sin, all of our debt, and all of our shame. Because Jesus is a Jewish person. And the Bible says we've been grafted in. So when we met Jesus, we had all of our sins listed. And Jesus took the blood and he wrote paid in full and he folded it over and that's why the Bible says Jesus will give you double for your troubles because it's the illustration of what he did for us spiritually when he canceled out all of our sin all of our debt and the Bible says he nailed it to the cross now the Bible says that Jesus made a mockery of the devil he made a the Bible says an open showing of him 
In other words, he said, ha ha, you thought you was killing me for the last time. What you didn't realize is that what you did is you just gave me the power to not just set one person free, but to set millions free. So every time you think about shame, you ought to see it being nailed to the cross. It don't belong to you no more. Just like Jesus ain't on the cross, you ain't on the cross. And because you're not up there, you're not where the shame is. Amen? Amen. So understand that shame brings about consequences. There are three things that shame will do. Number one, shame will lead to paranoia. It'll cause you to be paranoid. It'll lead to paranoia. It, It also will cause you, and this was sometimes my issue and I realize it, it will cause you to seek excessive perfectionism. Shame will cause you to seek out excessive perfectionism. Now, you don't get delivered till you can identify what your issues are. A lot of people who have shame suffer from paranoia because they'll, if, if you got shame and you walk in the room and people start talking, you think they're talking about you. They probably stop talking because when someone walks into a room, you, you, you lose your train of thought and you look at them. Or maybe you was talking about something that was private to you and you didn't want everybody else to know. But Paranoia says, you know what? They talking about me. I know folk who done left churches because they feel like folk were talking about them. Ain't nobody said nothing about you. But, 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 you, but because, you, because you felt shame in an area, you became paranoid about those things. You know, this morning, I was in here straightening these chairs up and, I, and the Lord said, Will you just stop straightening those chairs? The people don't even look to see if they straight, strict. <laughs> but here's where that shame came from. I tell you where it came from. My mom's here. She might not know this. When we were younger, I had to share a room with my brother. He was messy. And when I had friends come over, I didn't want the friends to come into my room and see our room, because it was our room, and had to explain that it was his mess, not mine. So in my life, in order to show that I wasn't messy, I became excessive about my perfectionism. Now, years ago, years ago, right, let me, let, right, let, let, let me creep, preach, right, 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 let me come over here. Years ago, though, I could not have explained that. I didn't know why it was so important to me that your chairs were straight. I didn't know why it was so important that nobody touched my stuff. I didn't know why I didn't want nobody to bother the things that were mine. It it, it wasn't that I was selfish, but it was an issue that I had realized. I didn't realize it was shame around that. I had shame around that issue. I had shame around the fact that that, that, that I I didn't want somebody thinking I was messy. Now, my brother didn't have no shame around that. (laughs) He didn't. He was cool. He had a, he bring his friends over all the time. His friends getting ready to come over. I'm just trying to straighten up to his side of the room. But if you don't know why you behave the way you behave, you can never fix it. You have, we said it last week. You got to be what? Metacognitive. You got to what? Think about your thinking. Ask yourself, why do I do that? Why, why, why does every time somebody get close to me, I act a fool and cause them to leave? Because it ain't always them. If you, if, if you in a relationship and somebody act a fool one time, 
it may be them. Two times, it still could be them. Three times, maybe you need to move cities. <laughs> but if you move cities and, 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 and now they're doing the same thing in another city, and then you move states and jobs, and the same thing keeps showing up, it ain't them. It's you, boo. It's you. You the one. And sometimes you have to deal with the fact that I am the one that's messing this up. Here's the empowering part. If it's you who messing it up, y'all preaching. I'm telling you. Number two, the second consequence of shame. It ties you to your past and it sabotages your future. That's, no, that's number two. Number one is just that it, it can make you paranoid or excessive, excessively uh, perfectionist. That's, that's one. So I'm going. I'm a, so I'm going to go. I want. I want you to really. I, I want you to hear this. So point number one. Here, when I was talking about the, the consequences, all this is number one. It can. It can make you paranoid. Okay. Okay. That, that's that's one A. One B. It can cause you to be excessive in your perfectionism. Now, now why I got you here? One one C. One C. It'll make you be a doormat for other people. Shame will allow you to take abuse you know you shouldn't take. Not just physical, but I'm talking spiritual. I'm talking, you know, I, I, Pastor Shun and I talk to people all the time who have been spiritually abused by their pastors. I don't know any other way to say it. They have been spiritually abused. And, 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 and my question is always, why are you still there? I love Jimmy. Jimmy loves me. But if I'm willing to let Jimmy sacrifice the well-being of his family so that my vision can come to pass, that's spiritual abuse. That's spiritual abuse. But watch this. If there's somehow shame associated within your life, like if you feel shame because you feel like you let somebody down in the past, now a person can take advantage of you and you won't leave them when you should because shame is associated in your life with leaving people. But relationships ought to be two-way streets. If I'm willing to go out of my way for you, my expectation is that you're willing at some point to go out of your way for me. Reciprocation. It, it's, it, it can't, that's why, and I'm going to get back to shame, but it's why, I, it's why I struggle with this idea of spiritual father in the kingdom as a whole. I believe in it, but how are you going to be a spiritual father with 5,000 kids? You can't. Not effectively, because what's going to happen is you're going to have a very close group. Je Jesus didn't have but 12. Je Jesus. Jesus didn't have but 12. And you got 2,000? Look, I'm going to call it what it is. That's multi-level marketing. That's multi-level marketing. That's what that is. Because if I get 2,000 sons and y'all each go get 100 sons and then y'all each of them go get 50 sons and I have a conference and y'all come and y'all give $100, I'm rich for the year. 
reality of it is, is we say, well, how could that still exist in the kingdom? Only because people have shame keeping them hostage. Watch this. I know you have heard this. I know you have. I know you have. When you get ready to tell folk you're going to change churches, what they say, you better not be church hopping. See there? Church hopping. The re- because in people's mind, if you go to one church, wherever you start, that's where they should bury you. Especially in smaller towns where people grew up, you better not change church. That's why you got First Baptist, Greater First Baptist, New Greater First Baptist, and they're all on the same street. The reality is, is there are seasons in people's lives. In a different seasons in people's lives, they need different things. But I am convinced that if God calls you to a ministry, that ministry also should be growing. The reality is some folks leave because the church is dead. I'm broke, and you up here talking to me about the seven seals of Revelation. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear about nobody riding on no white horse coming back. Unless they got money with them, I don't need to hear that today. I don't need to hear about the white horse and, and, and greater is he written on his thigh. I want to know, can somebody help me get a job? Can somebody help me rewrite my resume? Can somebody teach me how to get along with my spouse? Can somebody help me so I don't kill these kids? That's why millennials are not going to church. It's why they're doing something different. Because we're still talking about the same old stuff that we was talking about in 1950. You got to get over this shame issue. So I gave you one A, B, and C, right? I gave you two. I said that it sabotages your past uh, and it it ties you to your past and sabotages your future. Number three, it extinguishes your hope for a better. Whatever that line is, for a better, whatever it is. You know, we use a fire extinguisher. You know how a fire extinguisher works, right? When there's a fire, a lot of people believe that you, you blow the stuff on there and the, and the wind blow it out. No, it don't. The wind don't blow the fire out. The stuff inside of it literally suffocates oxygen from the fire. That is what being in Christ does to shame. It suffocates it. Being in Christ chokes it out. It chokes out shame. It won't allow shame to speak to you. When you are in Christ and you're getting ready to make a decision and shame wants to say something, Christ will choke shame out. Listen, there's not a person in this, in this, in this auditorium here who hasn't made a mistake. There's not a person who hasn't made a mistake. There's not a person who hasn't blown it. Listen, there's not a person in here who hadn't made a mistake in the area that you pray to God doesn't show up on this screen. The reality is some of us have made some mistakes that if we could do whatever possible so that you wouldn't see it, we cover it up. So you're not exempt to, to how something has affected you or something that you have done. Amen. You're, you're, not, you're not exempt from it. And because you're not exempt from it, if you can just embrace your mistakes, I know that sounds crazy, but if you will embrace your mistake, you can get free from it. 
They're like, look, you know what? The reality of it is, I said I was going to save some money this year, and I'm broker than I, when I started. Pastor Sean, I'm, look, I'm going to get out of the way in just a minute because Pastor Sean's got something she wants you to fill out. The indication whether or not you suffer from shame or not is whether you can fill out the piece of paper. Because the piece, you don't even got, watch this. Here, here's what happened. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen right now. Some of you, because of the pain associated with it, won't fill it out even though it doesn't ask for your name. Because the reality of it is shame doesn't have to be what somebody else knows. It just has to be what affects you. Shame doesn't care. In, in, in fact, the devil hopes nobody ever finds out. Because then he can pigeonhole you to it. The best thing you can do is be like, you know what, I lie a lot. So when I say something, y'all just have to ask me if I'm telling the truth. Because <laughs> I, I, I tend to lie, I get excited, and I start saying stuff that ain't true. Y'all help me out. Now see, <laughs> now, now the reality of it is, if you do that, folk can help you. Because then you'd be like, yeah, I went to Beyonce concert in New York. You'd be like, now you sure? Or did you just put that on Facebook like that? Or did you, were you really there, or was that the story you tell yourself? Cause I, I work with kids a lot, right? I work with kids a lot. So sometimes you'll be talking to little kids, and little kids will start telling you a story. And the story is real, but it's really what they wanted to say, not what they said. They'd be like, yeah, because I told him I said da-da-da-da-da. You'd be like, now, did you really say that to him? Like, well, no, I was going to, though. Because <laughs> you have to make sure. Because in their mind, they wanted to tell them that, but they didn't actually do it. <laughs> So if you want to get over shame, all you got to do is find somebody you love, find somebody you trust. It's what the Bible says, you confess your faults one to another. You know, you ain't got to tell, you ain't got to tell everybody what you done done. And you, you got to be careful who you tell, but you got to tell somebody. What? A lot of times, if you would tell folk what you're struggling with, they could help you before you get in such a mistake that now you got to almost give a, have a backhoe to dig yourself out of trouble. They, I love it. Jimmy said they may actually have a blueprint. They, you don't know what other people have went through, and the reality of it is they may say, you know what, you never knew this, but I struggled with this, and here's how I got out of it. But shame will keep you isolated. Shame will keep you by yourself. And so you got to make sure that you're not doing that, all right? All right, I'm going to finish this. Write these down. These are seven things, seven ways that shame is trying to hold you back. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to give you the point. Here's how, you, here's, here's, here's how you release shame. Here's how you release it. Number one, you got to focus on the present. Number one, you got to focus on the present. If you're going to release shame out of your life, you got to focus on the present. And remember, shame is different from guilt. You should feel guilty when you do something wrong. It's the indication that you have messed up. <laughs> Think about it. The Bible says that why did, why did God give his people the law? Because before they had a law, they didn't know what was right and what was wrong. He said, so he gave them the law to like put a mirror up to say, okay, I violated the law. I'm wrong. I need Christ to help me so I can do right. So guilt, guilty, yes. Shame, no. Because I don't want you leaving out here all that time about, Pastor, don't feel guilty about what I do. No, that ain't no, no, no. Pastor did not tell you not to feel guilty about what you do. I said you should not get into shame. 
All right, number two. How do you release shame? You got to forgive yourself. Everybody makes mistakes. You got to learn how to forgive yourself. Listen, so many times people have the hardest time forgiving themselves. I, ha- I teeter on the edge of trying to explain to people that I am not arrogant, but that when I make a mistake, I'm not, but, w- but when I make a mistake, I've made it. I can't undo it. All I can do is apologize for it, and in all of my effort, try to fix it so I don't do it again. But sometimes people feel like, well, you don't feel sorry enough. That, 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 the, the reality of it is, is that not only do people do that, sometimes we're guilty of doing that to other people. So let's not just talk about other people. Let's talk about us. Somebody wrongs us. They say, hey, I'm sorry, but they didn't have enough oomph on it. And so we determined because they didn't have enough oomph on it that somehow they're they not sorry enough. So the reality of it is, is that we all as believers got to learn how to make mistakes. I know this is going to sound bad, but we got to learn how to make mistakes and move on. As a football player, they used to always say what? Next play. Next play. Next play. Because if you spend your time focused about that play, you're never going to do anything on the other ones. That's right. You got to focus on the present. You got to learn how to forgive yourself. And then number, number three, you got to think of your mistakes as lesson learned. You got to think of your mistakes as lessons learned. Listen, Pashan said it earlier. How many of y'all had somebody in y'all life that you glad that the Lord didn't let you get with them when you wanted to? Okay, that's a lot of us, amen? And just like you shouting, there's some folks shouting about you, amen? They're like, hey, I'm glad Sean got him. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I don't like for us to just think about the other person. We have to think about ourselves. There's some folk who are like, oh, Lord, I'm so glad that somebody else got them. And that's good, amen? God has a way of working that thing out, amen? But you must remember, any mistake that you have made is only a bad mistake if you don't learn something from it. Learn the lesson. Don't feel bad like, man, I wasted a whole year. I should have been doing that stuff searching. Said You should have, but you didn't. So now you can go forward. Because feeling bad for the, for the next six months ain't going to help you. So now you just say, you know what? All right, every, everything he said I should have done, I'm going to do as much of it as I can before next week. I'm going to go hard. I'm going to go hard for a week and get everything I can done. So when I show up on Sunday, I may not have done all of it when I was supposed to, but I'm so much further ahead than what I would have been if I was just feeling bad about not doing anything. That's right. Number four, you got to learn to truly love who you are. Shame attaches to you when you don't love you. I love strict. I do. I do. And and you you should love you. You should. People think it's funny, but if you don't tell yourself how great you are every now and then, I do it a lot. You got to tell yourself. Now, 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 not to the place where you get so, so, but you know what? 
There's so many things that happen in a person's life. If you don't spend time telling yourself that, that, you're, that, you're, that you're doggone good, who else going to do it? Now, sometimes I mess it with my wife when she said, but she'd be like, you know, you're such a good father. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. Now, now I'm playing with her, but in reality, I'm, I'm, I'm reaffirming, yes, all right, I'm doing this thing right. Because if you don't fall in love with you, I mean, I, I, listen, if you don't love you, everybody else in this world has the potential to let you down. Everybody, no matter how much they love you, they can let you down. But if you're in love with you, you ain't never out of love. You ain't never out of love. Now, and that means sometimes I got to love myself to kick myself in the behind and say, you got to do better. Because that's love. Sometimes you say, you know what, I love you enough that if you, we're going to set a goal and we're going to meet this goal. I, you, I don't care if you don't have no fun this week. I mean, I, I don't know how y'all talk to y'all. I don't know what you do. Sometimes I have to talk to myself like that. I'm like, you don't, you don't get to have fun this week until you finish these tasks. You don't, you don't get to have no fun. You had your fun. That's why you're behind. That's why you're behind. So until you get caught up, you don't get to have no fun. I know they watch the TV, they laugh, but you stay on in that office right there until you get done. And if you learn to talk to yourself like that, you will get a lot of stuff done. You got to love yourself. You got to love yourself enough to allow truth and allow wisdom to be infiltrated into your life and see it as a gift you're giving to yourself. Last one, number five. How many I get y'all? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I'm trying to get through so you can do your piece. All right, here you go. Change the title to five. <laughs> five ways. Five ways to set yourself free from shame. <laughs> so what number are we on now? <laughs> there you go. All right. As a teacher, you learn to modify and adjust. <laughs> you learn to modify and adjust. So we're going to do five ways to set yourself free. Just put a little X over that seven and write five. Number five. <laughs> I owe you two. <laughs> right, I don't want no, I don't want no problems. <laughs> Number five, you have to have an objective opinion. Now, let me talk about, I do want to talk about this for just a moment. You got to get an objective opinion. You got to take steps to get over your feelings of shame by asking for help. If you feel that getting the support of someone who can help you get unstuck or move forward is what you need, then invest in a coach. There's nothing, there's nothing flawed about you because you seek help. If there are things that have happened to you in your past that has traumatized you, if there are things unspeakable that went on and you've never told anybody and you're trying to hold it, and, you're, and a lot of times it, it'll show up like this. You try to be the best at everything. You try to be top-notch at everything. You want everybody to know how great you are. Not because you need to be great, but because you're trying to overcompensate for how you feel for what was done to you. 
If you're feeling like that, find you a therapist to talk to, a professional therapist. Your BFF ain't your therapist. That's your BFF who may be dealing with their own ISSUES issues. So you get, so fine. There's nothing wrong with seeking professional help. Listen, and I know she, I'll say this, because of her ability and because of her training, I had the, fortune, the, the good fortune in working through a lot of my stuff with Pastor Sean. Now, she's pretty good. She ain't going to do this for you for free, though. She ain't going to do it for free. Huh? You're better than pretty good. You're really good at what you do. You're really good. You're really good at what you do. Amen. Amen. See, see, sometimes you got to love yourself. You got to tell yourself that. <laughs> when somebody says you're pretty good, you can't just let them slide on pretty good. You're really good at what you do. But I'm telling you, you got to find someone who you feel okay with digging around in you. And sometimes when people are digging around, man, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't feel good. If you got to have open heart surgery, it doesn't feel good. But it's better than the alternative. Dying. So, <laughs> listen, if you feel that you have some deep-seated emotional issues around shame, you really got to talk to somebody. Just, read, just reading your Bible, and I don't want to discount the Bible because uh, uh, evangelical people get really upset when I say it like this, but just, just reading your Bible is not always the key. God touches the hearts and minds of people who are professionals and allow them the anointing to ask you the kind of questions that will cause you to go down the road to deliverance. Amen. And so it's, a, it's important that you understand there's nothing wrong with asking for help. There's nothing wrong with talking to somebody. There's nothing wrong with, with, with dealing with the issues in your life so that you can be a better you. Amen. You know how much better our relationships would be if everybody in the relationship dealt with their junk? Amen. If everybody dealt with their junk? I remember one time, Pastor Sean was gone, and uh, she she was she had went out of town, and I rearranged like the whole house because well she she doesn't well she's not like a lot, she doesn't care about stuff like that so she likes it to look nice but she ain't she ain't even be like why you move my you see you're not like that so I moved everything had everything set up really really nice and she came home. And I remember that she, she must have said something or something, and I just went off. Well, the issue really was, and I didn't know it then, but the issue really was is that I felt shame in my life about me doing stuff and people saying it wasn't good enough. And that wasn't her issue, but that issue came out on her. How many times are we vomiting our issues out on other people? How, how many times in our relationships, literally, Literally, we're vomiting all of our issues out on other people because we won't deal with our own stuff. But if you deal with your stuff, Jesus is there to help you, amen? amen. And if Jesus is there to help you, then you don't have to deal with this thing of shame. Shame corrodes the very part of us that, as believers that is capable of causing us to change. Shame erodes away that part of us that will cause us to change. So next week when you come, I want you to come with a renewed mind. 